Hello everyone, welcome to That Food Podcast. My name's Stu Miller and I'm joined by my good friend, as I will be every single week on That Food Podcast, Matt Huntley. Matt, how are you doing? I'm good. Well, you know, this week I turned uh, 37, Stu, so I'm looking forward to celebrating that with my wife Amy and my cat. Um, as you know, I've explained to you in the past that I actually do um, something we call World Food Club. Um, so we're actually going to take a trip to, in a culinary sense at least anyway, to France this week to celebrate. Oh, very nice. What's on the menu? Well, we have um, Cote de Boeuf, which is a quite an expensive cut of uh, beef, um, along with Aligo, which is basically creamy mash, cheesy mash. So very much looking forward to that. Aligo, I also believe he's a winger for Paris Saint-Germain. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one. He's Can't a wait fast guy. <laughs> <laughs> See, me and my wife, Leanne, took your sort of world food club as you had sort of on board and she bought me for christmas a a subscription uh service so this month we had iranian food which was delicious and last night we had one of the bonus meals that was on there was one of the bonus recipes which was just a classic chicken tagine with moroccan spices and it sometimes it's just the most simple dish so chicken spices carrot served with a bit of couscous delicious absolutely loved it it works well. And funnily enough, we actually visited uh, Morocco just this weekend gone and we had a tagine as well. So um, quite a coincidence there. Um, obviously, again, in a virtual culinary sense, we've visited Morocco. We should probably point out during these uh, <laughs> troubled times where we're unable to travel. Um, but yeah, we've been all over the world uh, due to our World Food Club in a culinary sense. Once again, uh, we've been to Japan and we've tried ramen noodles. Uh, we've been to Mexico where we've... Uh, tried quesadilla we've even been to scandinavia where we've had swedish meatballs um and yeah again this weekend we've just been to morocco as well so even though we can't travel in a actual sense we can still kind of try different foods from different parts of the world and we're absolutely loving it so yeah highly recommended i'm glad that you're trying it as well yeah we are not social media instagram superstars where we deem traveling to dubai to ride on camels essential travel we are staying firmly uh, in our lockdown sense but we Absolutely. we met each other through professional wrestling. That's where um, so I, I I met Matt, and from there we realised there's a lot of things in common we have outside of professional wrestling. Um, Matt's the reason as well that I've got probably in the best shape of my life through um, advice on nutrition and 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 fitness and health, and that's another re- sort of aspect of this podcast which we're going to be looking at. So, you know. We all love to have a treat. We all love to have a cake. We love to have a biscuit. But I think when you start piling on those biscuits, you suddenly start thinking to yourself, what do I actually need to do to burn those burn those calories off? What essentially physical activity do I need to do to burn off that treat? If I'm trying to be conscious of what I'm eating, but I want to have a treat, what do I need to do to make it allowable for whatever counting app or whatever meal plans you're having to be able to knock those calories out? Yeah, absolutely. So not only are we going to be looking at a different recipe each week and we're going to go through the process of cooking it and then discuss how we found that, but also going to look at the calorie input and the calorie output required to perhaps burn off some of those uh, uh, more richer dishes that we're going to try. We should also mention that our our first little club into food um, with the two of us started in the summer of 2020, when we were allowed a little bit more flexibility of movement after the first lockdown ended, uh, where we were allowed to go and be in people's gardens and have a little bit of interaction. And we started something called Pie Club, 
where we, we sampled pies from around the country, had two or three pies in an evening, and we we created our own rating system for them. And I think that's when it really started going, the, the passion that we both shared for talking about food, cooking food, and most importantly, eating the food. Um, but can you remember what your favourite pie from Pie Club was? Oh, yes, uh, I can, actually. It comes to mind immediately. So it was the very first pie club we had, and it was uh, very kindly hosted by yourself in your back garden, uh, just around your fire pit as well, which was lovely, very nice setting. Um, and we had a lamb pie, and it was with mint as well, wasn't it? And it was absolutely fantastic. Really, really super tasty, nice tender chunks of meat, and a lovely gravy as well. And mwah! Really, really good. That was my favourite. How about you, Tex? I mean, it was certainly the most memorable pie. Certain most memorable mm-hmm. pie. But as a as a second to that, I still think the scrumpy pork pie that we had on that day was also quite innovative. And again, something I'd not seen before, which was really tasty. It was. So just to describe a little bit on that, um, the scrumpy pie was a uh, pork pie with uh, an apple sauce topping almost wasn't it yeah it's, it's almost like it was like a, an, a, a stewed apple bedded into mm-hmm. the top of the pie yeah and that was really nice really good combination something um i haven't tried before as well so just to try something new um was really nice and exciting to try that um and you know that's kind of part of what we're trying to establish with our podcast as well so we're each going to suggest a different recipe each week so we're going to take it in turns and we're going to try to sort of explore some new recipes that we haven't tried before. Um, so we're both sharing experience of trying something new and uh, we can try that and then discuss it. And that's the thing as well um, to our listeners as well. We want you guys to get involved with the cooking with us and share your experience with us on social media. So what we're going to do once this podcast has been released is we're going to release our recipe for the week chosen by Matt on our social media, uh, one on Twitter, which is at that food podcast um all the links will be in the podcast feed and then you can cook along with us and then next week as matt said earlier we're going to discuss the recipe how we found preparing it the actual taste of the recipe but make sure you say your images with us if you cook the men cook the recipe that matt picks or cooks the item that we pick each week share it on social media use the hashtag that food podcast and we'll discuss your efforts on the pod each week Absolutely. And I'm looking forward to that interaction as well from people. So it's not just about you and me, Stu. It's also about bringing other people in, maybe encouraging them to try something a bit different to what they might usually try as well. So, um, and just going back to obviously, we're starting up a new podcast and uh, we, we um, it kind of was born from that pie club that we started between ourselves. Um, I just want to cover off maybe a couple of the uh, uh, potential that food podcast name ideas are you up for that oh yeah definitely Let, let's see what okay. we could have been called so this is what we could have been called so just harking back to the pie club i uh, i came up with the neat idea of uh, pie pod <laughs> um it's a modern classic right there <laughs> <laughs> um another one which i quite liked being a bit of a, a foo fighter uh, fan um the food fighters <laughs> It's almost, and that obviously would hark back to our wrestling backgrounds as well. There's a tag team name if we ever get to wrestle again. Yes, that's right. And uh, speaking of wrestling, we also went, or potentially could have gone for uh, Snackdown. 
Um, we also have the uh, the food dudes. And uh, one final one here was um, beardy boys eat food. Now, <laughs> <laughs> I may be struggling at that point. And also Tax pointed out that I'll probably get fed up with my beard fairly soon, so that'll get shaved off, and uh, <laughs> we will no longer be able to be the beardy boys. So there we go. The bearded boy plus one. <laughs> yes. So I was thinking it'd be interesting for our listeners to go back to the younger year, the early years of our cooking experiences. And I was trying to wreck my brains back to try and think of the first thing that I ever cooked. And the only thing that sits in my mind, one of the most atrocious things that I made, I remember looking through a, one of my mum's cookbooks and I think it was supposed to be some kind of chocolate truffle. And I think I might've been maybe nine or 10 and I locked myself away in the kitchen with all these ingredients to do essentially make these chocolate truffles and you had to melt the butter down knead it down make the dough and coat it in the um in the in the chocolate and and leave it to uh leave it to rest and leave it to refrigerate well being impatient as nine or ten i from memory did not melt down that butter correctly and essentially what i ended up serving my mum and my nan was butter coated in cocoa powder and that sat in the fridge for half an hour. And my nan, as a true professional grandparent, just ate three of them and said, these are delicious. They were not delicious. <laughs> very good. Well, um, I mean, um, that's very polite of your grandmother to uh, compliment your cooking there. And I'm sure it was nicer and perhaps you remember. Um, some of my early memories are actually my sister, um, Darlene, is a, a professional cook. And she worked in a pub um, just down the road from where we lived in my from my parents' house, uh, named the Rat Trap. So big shout out to the Rat Trap Massive in Swindon. Um, <laughs> she was cooking there, and uh, so on a Friday evening, my dad or my mum might take me up, and we'd go round the back um, of the pub where her kitchen was based, and she'd slip us a few, you know, cheeky chips this uh, so through the back door there. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> this sounds so shady. We snuck around the top window <laughs> and had some chips passed out of the window. <laughs> but to me, that was like just heaven because there's these greasy, um, you know, deep fried chips um, and they tasted amazing, cooked by my sister as well. So that's something that kind of perhaps got me onto the journey of being interested in cooking. Having said that, in my formative years, I wasn't a brilliant cook. Um, so when I was a bit younger, I remember going around to a, uh, a, a friend's house, a family home, and um, the mum said, why don't you help yourself to a bit of bread, make some toast, what have you. Okay, great, thank you very much. And no exaggeration, they quite harshly, thinking back, took the mick out of how I was spreading butter on toast because, quite frankly, I was useless at it. <laughs> so... <laughs> So that I was just jabbing at toast, kind of try to spread it. Now, I'd imagine the, the butter was pretty solid. So, you know, I put some of the blame on the parents. That's what but, I heard. Yes. That's what I heard. <laughs> butter was a poor standard. <laughs> um, however, you know, I have progressed and I really enjoy cooking now. And really that started um, when I went to university. So I went to university at uh, Nottingham Trent, uh, where I studied wildlife conservation. And um, that's when I started cooking more for myself and well, really had to out of necessity, uh, to be quite frank. Um, and, you know, I started cooking and it's very sort of standard kind of uh, student meals, sort of 
pasta and things like that. But I do remember once trying to cook a rack of ribs um, with uh, sauce created from scratch. So I looked up a recipe and I bought all the ingredients. I remember going to Morrison's and picking out all the ingredients that I needed. And, you know, it kind of sounds mundane now, but as a younger person doing my first big shop, try to find ingredients that I needed for this uh, rack of ribs recipe. Um, it, it felt, you know, quite liberating, I suppose. And uh, I got home and I prepared it all and I, I covered the, the, the ribs in, a, uh, in this marinade that I made from scratch again, um, put it in the oven, let it cook, let it do its thing. And I was really looking forward to it. Took it out and I'd, <laughs> I don't know what I did wrong, but to be quite frank, it tasted awful. Like, it really tasted awful. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it didn't put me off, though. So, you know, I, I carried on experimental things, and I'm you know, to the point now where I consider myself okay in the kitchen. Yeah, I, I at school, and so this would have been the uh, l- mid to late 90s at secondary school, you had the choice of doing woodwork, metalwork, or food technology. And would you believe still in the mid to late 90s that cooking in an all-boys grammar school was not the done thing? But I much prefer it because to me, cooking's alchemy. To be able to mix combinations of flavors together to make something wonderful. And yes, the standard of what you had to cook in food tech wasn't exactly gourmet style. I remember we had to do a soup project and then having... Uh, one of my friends, David Hull, encouraged me to continue to put more and more curry powder in my curry soup, which essentially was just turned into a curry sauce, which was delicious, if you like curry sauce. Um, but I think that's where um, I really got into cooking and started experimenting more and more at home. Um, my parents uh, would work all the time. So during the, the school holidays, I'd be there to cook for myself if I was hungry. Um, if I wanted anything other than like a thing of super noodles or a pot noodle, it would be a case of, well, I can cook for myself. And as you said, the normal get the go-to would be things like pasta from the to start with. But as you said, I, I didn't go to uni, but I lived alone. So I had to cook to survive. And I remember being so excited when I bought my first slow cooker because I was going to make a slow cooked stew. So I get it, got everything set up in the morning, as you said, shop for all the ingredients, popped it all in. And even though it was really nice, I thought I could have saved myself about six hours and just put this in the normal oven. It still tastes as good, but you know, I think that's more down to the cut of meat that I used rather than the the time I had. Because obviously now, if I'm going to try and um, prepare a nice fancy dish with a lot of effort, I'm obviously a lot more aware than my formative years of the quality of meat. Because I really feel that you, <coughs> excuse me, you do get what you pay for. When, you, when it comes to meat produce, especially if it's locally sourced, organic meats as well. That's, that's what we're looking for. Absolutely. And, you know, that's actually going to part, part of the concept that we're looking at doing with this podcast as well. So we are looking at how um, sustainable the products are that we're using um, and, you know, whether they um, come wrapped in plastic, if we can avoid buying products wrapped in plastic, um, if we're able to buy locally, um, also and I think we'll touch on this kind of bit more in the future. Um, carbon carbon footprint of our products as well. So just you know, off the top of my head, um, you know, dairy products, meat products are generally worse for the environment from a carbon footprint point of view um, than perhaps other products. So, and you know, we're going to be honest as well about that, and we're not going to hold back on picking a recipe just because it you know might be uh, massively uh, an issue with carbon or what have you. 
but the aim really is to be able to highlight those uh, potential issues and you know if we do pick one that's uh, we calculate to be huge on the carbon footprint then we will hold our hands up and go yeah man we need to plant lots of trees now to be able to overcome this one or you know so um it's and then you know it goes back to my university days as well studying wildlife conservation I, i'm uh, very much all in uh, with that side of things and i know you are as well i think one of the things when you mentioned especially the carbon footprint after the the horizon documentary that you watched on bbc where it's a it's a higher carbon footprint there's more you know more output for the production of you know organic egg free range egg as opposed to importing bananas from ecuador and it's things like that when it just blows your mind when you actually think that there's an egg that's just down the road but there's a banana in a different continent and the carbon footprint's so so vastly different between the two so it's going to be interesting um to even like dig into this a little bit further as well and as matt said we're not going to sit there and go oh we're going to suddenly become eco warriors and not cook this and turn like we'll only eat out of our own gardens for the carbon footprint that's going to produce but it's going to be a real interesting insight into the food that we eat as well um on that subject as well today's afternoon project i mean i don't know what the weather's like where you are it's bucketing down with rain where i am but i'm going to be um i cleared out my greenhouse the weekend start this year's uh planting for crop and i'm also going to be hopefully constructing some raised beds in my garden for me and my daughter to start planting those seedlings at a suitable point in the next couple of months to start growing our own vegetable patch in the new house Oh, that's very exciting, and I can't wait to put my first order in for my uh, veg box from you, <laughs> from the uh, from the Miller Farm. Um, but yes, no, you're right. With uh, you know, we're going to try cut through the information that's out there um, and relay it back to you guys listening. In terms of, it's such a minefield, really. All the information out there. You're thinking about organic. You're thinking about carbon footprint. You're thinking about how you know animal welfare as well. And sometimes you can't do you know. You try to do your best, but you trip up on uh, an issue that you don't even suspect or think about. So we're going to try cut that out and try cut through it a little bit for you guys listening at home. So similarly on the vein of carbon footprint, it's always the thing when you look at carbon footprint for international travel. And I know sort of you and your wife have World Food Club. From your travels, because we've both been quite fortunate to go to some pretty cool places around the world. What would you say has been your best traveling food experience? Um, well, uh, without a doubt, um, New Orleans in 2014 for me. Uh, so, uh, my wife and I, we went there for a large sporting event, WrestleMania 30, um, which just happened to fall in the same year as my 30th birthday as well. So, um, you know, lots of things to celebrate and, and embrace and enjoy. And, um, as you know, New Orleans is a, a party town as well. So we had a great time celebrating out there and, Know, hitting the bars and um, eating lots of tasty food as well. Um, one that stands out in mind, um, not necessarily for a good reason. That's more on me than the food, though. So we went to a seafood restaurant there, um, and we ordered a seafood special. Um, um, and it said it feeds up to four people. So, you know, in England, maybe when they say it feeds up to four people, you think, ah, we can tackle that, right? You know, we, we've got good appetite. When they say four, they really mean two. But in America, they really mean four, six, eight, you know. Like, <laughs> so uh, 
it came out and the dish was huge. It had a whole lobster. It had crawfish. It had you know multiple servings of uh, corn on the cob as well, which lovely, very delicious, very nice. But however, it is um, much too much for us to eat in one sitting. So we actually took the leftovers back with us. Um, the restaurant, I can't remember the name of it now. It's unfortunate I can't think of it now, um, but it's along the um, Mississippi River, so it's a really nice setting anyway. So we took leftovers with us, um, and we went for a walk uh, from the Mississippi River River, sorry, um, through the city back to the hotel. Um, we kind of debating what we should do with the food. We kind of had enough, and to be honest, I was a little bit hungover from the night before as well, so my, my, my stomach wasn't feeling great. So we actually decided to... Um, um, leave the food with uh, a homeless person and uh so we walked past a homeless person we actually he was asleep so we left the food next to him and um and you know being you know very kind we felt very good about the situation and um and we left that there but i, I do often think about the homeless guy that we left the food with whether he woke up and thought oh what exceptional human beings must have left this food for me um how kind? Or did he wake up thinking, what the hell is this? Why is someone left a lobster next to my bed? <laughs> and, and I'd much prefer beer money. <laughs> so, <laughs> we may have been a, a, a resting connoisseur. Ooh, <laughs> clams. <laughs> delicious. <laughs> uh, I, New Orleans, when I've been there, as you said, it's a fantastic um, food, you know, a, a, a place for food and enjoying the, the delights of that culture as well and all the Cajun food that they have there. Um, I remember when we landed in New Orleans, it had been such a long flight and we'd had a, um, a stop over in New York as well to get to where we were going. And I was so hungry by the time I got the ho- to the hotel in New Orleans and the fact that the bar was open. And even though I'm pretty sure it was a very sub-rate poor boy, oh, it was delicious just because I hadn't eaten in 12 hours. <laughs> and it, yeah, was, it, it was fantastic. But, but I, I think from, from my standpoint... Um, when I went to Venice, uh, Venice ruined UK Italian food for me because whether it be a bit of lasagna I had just by a river, um, sort of by by the sea, or a pizza that I had by the canals, just the preparation, it, it, it was delicious. There's only one downside to um, Venice, and my wife... Um, had decided that we'd go and visit something called Harry's Bar. Uh, Harry, who invented the Bellini. And before we went, I looked at the li- looked at the menu, and I was like, crikey, a starter's 40 euros. This is really expensive. And my wife said, no, 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 they must just have that wrong. And I thought, this is going to be really expensive. So I made sure I took out a, a credit card before I went out there thinking... Because we weren't married at the time, so I was thinking, well, this is our, I think it was our first proper holiday together as a couple. And I thought, well, I need to be able to play the play the game. I need to back this up before we, uh, before we go. And we went there, and lo and behold, the starter was 40 euros. The cheapest main was 70 euros. And I took the decision that evening to really fancy liver and onions, not because it was the cheapest main on the menu, but I really fancied liver and onions. And in fairness, I love liver and onions. It's delicious. But by the time we'd spent over 200 euros on drinks and our mains, they came over and said, would you like pudding? And I said, oh, I'm quite full, <laughs> thinking it's 40 euros for pudding. And they took pity on us and just gave us free pudding anyway, which was lovely. And it was delicious meringue-based pudding. Well, um, 
the granddaughter of the founder and the inventor of the blini was sat at the bar getting absolutely hammered <laughs> whilst we were there. So <laughs> quite quite the experience as we are uh, as we went on there. So and, and obviously you know we'll we'll delve into some international travels as as we cook and as we go through the weeks and, and months of this podcast for some of the other places we visited, some of the good and some of the bad food experiences yes. madeira how you doing making me ill but we'll get to that <laughs> at some point um but obviously we've spoken international travel if you could pick one dish that you could eat forever and you can only have one what would you say your favorite dish would be or food item would be yeah so um it was groundhog day yesterday wasn't it so uh, you know if, if you could put a meal on repeat what would it be um you know, I'm. I say this now and get out of the way. I'm not particularly fussy with what I eat in terms of, um, you know, I, I do like uh, delicacies and I do like, you know, going to the extra effort of making a decent meal. But also, you know, I don't mind a greasy burger uh, when it comes to it. That's absolutely fine. Um, to put down one meal that I had to have every day is quite a difficult question. Something that I always go back to though i enjoy cooking it i enjoy the process of cooking it and i definitely enjoy the process of eating it as well um and it's something that my wife enjoys as well is a uh, a chili so that's uh, probably what i'd go for it's it's uh tasty flavorsome fairly easy to put together as well or you can make it as hard as you want if you want to do your own spices and things um but i'd go with a chili i think how about you i mean mine's probably a bit of a cop out but you can't beat a good cheese board a cheese board, bit of crusty bread, couple of crackers, a couple of different varieties of cheese. Obviously, I've technically cheated a little bit because if I just said cheese board, then I can have various different types of cheese, which I'm sure we'll get into on the pod. And uh, maybe in the next couple of weeks, I'll go into the story of my cheese making escapades uh, from a few years ago. But cheese is the best creation ever and it's so diverse. And the fact that even in the UK, we've got some amazing cheese makers, but that's just you know that's just dipping a toe in the water when you start looking at the cheeses you've got um in europe and even in the states there are some cheesemakers um who've won that i think they one of the american cheeses won the sort of world cheese award and it was an american blue it was based off the um the the devon blue and they took the concept and made it their own. So obviously, at least they give credit to the Devon Blue for being essentially the foundations of the the um, the creation of their cheese. And then they expanded it to then go and win sort of cheese awards around the world. So I, I, I would also probably say then if it was only one type of cheese, even though it's quite strong, I'd always go for a blue. I always think that you get a lot of flavor, a lot of punch out of blue. It goes well with crackers, well with bread, goes well with mixing in things as well. So mine would be a cheese board. Yeah, good choice. And, you know, my palate has become um, more mature with cheese as well over the past few years, um, in part due to you as well and your passion for cheese. I've tried different variations and um, I very much enjoy it. A blue cheese is great. Um, it's interesting to say about America as well, kind of getting on board of all that. Um, very much known for their processed cheeses in the past. Um, and they are now kind of delving into more artisan cheese and craft ales as well, if you look at that side of things. Um, and as almost always, the Americans are 
doing uh, an astounding job of producing these different types of food types now. So it's quite exciting to see what they're coming up with, uh, especially in comparison to our traditions with cheeses and you know ales and things like that. It's um, kind of it's shifted over there now, and they're creating some really good stuff. Um, do you? Uh, well, you might think now in the future actually with each uh, bit of cheese that you uh, happen to eat, you know how many miles you might be clocking up in a petrol car with the equivalent of a uh, carbon footprint so you know that's a, a bit of blue cheese there that's equivalent of one mile in my petrol car uh, <laughs> i will now always walk to the uh, the local farm shop to pick up my cheeses now to make sure i can offset my carbon footprint <laughs> good idea good idea go on that side thing so i think uh, you know one of the things as we said as well with this podcast we want to make it fun and we want to have interaction with our listeners over our social media platforms um again at the moment we've only got a twitter we might delve into facebook instagram as we um as we progress but for the time being twitter's where's the best place to find us at that food podcast um but each week we're going to try and play at least a quiz or a game of some description and uh you have set this week's game i have Stu. so um we started we we talked about at the start of the uh, podcast today about how we are going to sort of delve into uh carbon footprint but also uh the calories of the meals that we're enjoying too so we can have you know um a bit of a look at how much uh, calorie content is in each meal and perhaps what we need to do to burn that off uh, in terms of exercise so i thought we'd play a little game a classic game of calorie higher or lower so Stu, come on down da, 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 da. you'll be able to tell as time goes on that production values of the podcast get better i'll actually edit music in here rather than just singing it myself <laughs> da, 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 da. I, okay i'm here i'm a happy contestant okay welcome to the show Stu. um actually we're going to uh, form some baselines to start with anyway so we have a bit of an understanding of when we talk about calories, what that might be, and you know how many we need per day to just exist as human beings. So, um, let's get into that a little bit. So we all have the same understanding, a bit of a baseline, like I say. Um, so what are calories? Calories are a measure of how much energy food uh, or drink contains, and we use that energy to function. So it's just there to allow us to exist, to be able to um, go about our day-to-day -day activities, and allow all our bod bodily functions to happen. Um, so, as a general rule, the recommend, uh, recommended daily allowance for a human is, uh, so 2,000 calories for a uh, female, 2,500 for a male, so a bit more because generally males are a bit larger. Um, the amount of energy can depend on things like your age, uh, your metabolic rate, so how fast your body burns food, um, levels of physical activity, so if you're quite sedentary, in general, you don't need as much uh, calorie or energy input as someone who might be a bit more active. Um, among other things as well, hormones can affect it. Medicines, if you're on medicines, that can affect it as well. Or if you're just generally feeling unwell, that can affect how many calories you'll burn per day. So um, I've actually been doing a little bit of background research on the um, output of calories as well. So input is when we eat, output is when we uh, exercise or just exist again day to day. Um, now, again, to give you a bit of a baseline, uh, when we get to the quiz aspect of what we're doing, um, I've actually, well, I've got a, a, an Apple Watch, as do you, which helps me kind of measure how many calories I'm burning when I exercise. Um, so I do have some baseline information here. So, for example, a 20-minute HIIT exercise or a high-intensity interval training session will, um, I will burn 216 calories 
uh, in 20 minutes. Okay, so about 216 again, that might be different for you, Stu, or guys at home, that might be slightly different. Everyone's slightly different for that. Um, a 45 minute walk, that would be 223 calories um, that I'll burn in that active uh, state whilst I'm walking. And I did this yesterday, I actually went down to um, Hive uh, Seafront, which is a little town near where I live. And I had a nice walk along the beach there, which was beautiful. The sun was out for at least 30 seconds <laughs> <laughs> before it started raining again. Um, and so that's very nice. That was my research for this week. 60-minute um, weight training ex uh, session as well. So weightlifting, um, strength training, whatever you want to call it. Um, that's about 354 calories for a 60-minute workout. So now we've kind of got basic understanding and basic information on calorie output. Um, let's play calorie higher or lower. Ooh, so here I'm going to get you to ask, I'm going to ask you roughly how many calories you think is in each of these meals, okay? Okay. Um, so I'm going to start the baseline with a, I should mention all these are breakfast foods as well, so I've kind of got a theme here. Breakfast theme, um, aren't they? Oh yes, love a bit of breakfast food. So. We're going to start with a classic. I'm sure everyone's tried it, whether it's as a younger person or as an adult as well. It's one of my favorites still. Um, classic beans on toast. Okay, Stu, over to you. How many calories do you think the average recommended serving of 100 grams of beans, along with two slices of uh, wholemeal bread in this instance, and a lure pack on top of that? How many calories roughly do you think is involved in that? Um, okay, so I think calorie-wise on a slice of wholemeal bread, you're probably looking at 100 to 110 calories per slice of bread. So we're about 210 for the bread. Beans, it's 100 grams. Let's go another 100 calories for the beans. So we're now up to three, let's go 320. And then the lure pack, we'll a bit of a spread of that. Let's say another 20. Let's go about 350, 350 calories. That's right. Fair play to you, that's really well worked through and actually not too far off. So it's 307, 307 oh, okay. calories, okay? So um, not too far off there. If you were to add, um, and as I quite often do, add some uh, grated cheese on top of that, you'll add an extra 62 calories-ish. So, um, so that's about 269 calories in total. Um, so again, just to point out, this is going to be different for everyone because this is recommended uh, servings. Um, now, you don't always stick to recommend a serving. 100 gram is about a quarter of a tin, for example. You might have a half a tin or a whole tin. So, you know, it's, it's, that's how it varies. So, but just so we've got that baseline there, 307 calories, beans on toast. The next one is what I had for breakfast this morning, which is a uh, serving of porridge, higher or lower. Did you use skimmed Did milk you... or full fat milk? Water. Water. Oh, okay. Um, I'm going to say lower, possibly around 280 for a serving of porridge. Okay, so you're right in saying lower. I think that was a, an educated guess there. Well done. Um, it was actually 111 calories. Oh, wow. And that is for a recommended serving of 30 grams. However, there's no way I have 30 grams. I'd say there's a bit more on that. So, so um, let's say four gram serving would be um, 148 calories. So um, that's where we're looking at there. So, but bear in mind, we're going to keep to a 30 gram ser uh, serving. 111 calories for porridge. We're now going to look at Cheerios. A bowl of Cheerios again at the recommended 30 gram serving. 
What are we saying, higher or lower? Now, this is a bit unfair because obviously at the moment uh, for my breakfast i am weighing my cereals and putting them in my fitness pal so Uh, a tesco's honey loop cheerio is 117 calories for 30 grams so i'm going to go for normal before you go any further remember there is a serving of milk on there as well so so i'm going to go higher than porridge but only just i think the i think the cheerios with milk will be about 150 to 160 calories yeah uh you're again pretty close so it is higher correct well done um and a serving of that would be 173 calories and i just want to use this moment here just to be able to point out really that again this is based on the recommended uh, serving, uh, which is prescribed on the back of the box. However, there's no way that actually we have 30 gram serving, unless you are measuring and you're very accurate with what you're putting into your body as you are at the moment, Stu. But more often than not, we just dump a load of cherries in a bowl, kind of to the brim, don't we? And that's not 30 grams, that's probably twice, maybe three times that. So actually you'll then have to double, triple that. So, you know, calories really can creep in there without you realizing. Um, and that's, you know, sometimes how we can lose control of how much calorie we're actually putting into our body compared to how much we're outputting. And also just looking at the, you know, um, the 113 calories, uh, not including the milk of the, the Cheerios. Actually, you're then looking at um, the porridge, which is uh, 111 calories. Um, and you think, well, why not just have the fun cereals rather than the boring porridge, right? Okay, so that's, that's you know, a, a fair assumption. Um, and why not have the fun cereals? But what you need to then look at is the sugar content. So cereals basically are just big lumps of sugar dressed up as pretty cereals in a bowl. Um, so, for example, in the Cheerios, there are, um, let's start with the porridge. So in porridge, we have, 26 grams of carbs, which is um, basic sugar, but you get like complex sugars and simple sugars, which has simple sugar content of 0.4 grams. So 0.4 grams in your porridge compared to 22.1 grams of carbs in your Cheerios. But then that is actually seven grams of simple sugars. So you're taking seven grams of simple sugars. Absolutely. So for some sort of context there, um, you know, adults should really have no more than 30 grams of free sugars a day. So free sugar is basically sugar that's added, um, simple sugars, people might know it as, um, and that's actually 23% of your RDI of sugar a day in that one bowl of cereals. And that's at the recommended serving as well. So then when you, you know, fill a bowl up, which is probably three times as much as your, um, you know, uh, recommended, um, you're you're already like you know sixty percent of your sugar intake for that day, and it's crazy as well because the thing I find with cereals in general, and again I'm I have my cereals if I weigh them out in the morning or, or a couple of crumpets uh, just to mix it up a bit, and then I have my morning snack. I find that if I eat the crumpets, I'm a lot fuller when I get to like half ten eleven o'clock where I have a morning snack or something, a bit of fruit or something, some sort of rice cake based food um or snacker jacks if i'm feeling like a treat whereas the porridge if you if you do that you're fuller it you, it's, you're gonna keep fuller for longer and as you said i know keeping to a 30 grand portions not likely in the in the real world outside the recommended daily allowance on the on the side of the pack but it's those it's those carbs which are important to keep you 
going, especially if you're being quite active throughout the day, you're going to need that to burn rather than the sugary stuff that I'm just guessing is going to take a lot more effort to shift. Well, the I'm glad you said that because it's quite interesting, really, because you you do need sugar, you do need carb to or carbs to um, be active to exist. You know, it's a very important uh, component of our diets, and it's not something we should be afraid of or uh, vilify in any way. It's actually very important to exist in day to day. But it's getting the right type of carb. So the porridge is actually um, a complex carb, so it, it it's harder for the body to break down. So it doesn't just filter into the bloodstream straight away, whereas a bowl of Cheerios, basically that simple sugar, that simple carb, is broken down very quickly, goes straight into the bloodstream, often in excess as well, so you don't really need that much straight away. Um, so it can get stored as fat, and that's where we start putting weight on. Whereas in a situation where you're having a, um, it's actually called a GI uh, index, which is a glycemic, glycemic index. Um, and we're looking at how fast carbs are broken down essentially through that index. So porridge has quite a low number on that index. And it's, it means essentially that it takes a long time to break down in the body, which then uh, releases energy slower throughout your morning. So you feel less hungry as the day progresses. So then you're not tempted to snack as well. So we're not ending up reaching for the bag of you know crisps or a chocolate bar midway through the morning. Um, and again, snacking, I, I certainly don't vilify that. I'm not here to say you should do this, shouldn't do that, because you know, I'd do it myself. But it's it's getting the information in there and then you know you can use that information to uh, you know cut through and make your own decisions based on good information, hopefully. I've got one more for you just okay. to finish up. Okay. Okay. So before I go for a fun one. And I did mention earlier that, you know, as much as I enjoy uh, fancy foods, I will also eat uh, fun foods as well in terms of, like, easy, convenient foods. So let's look at a McDonald's breakfast. <laughs> so a dirty double sausage and egg muffin meal with a hash brown and a regular cappuccino would be my uh, usual order at a uh, McDonald's breakfast. Um, let's have a quick guess. Well, higher <laughs> or lower? I'm going to say higher, and I'm going to try and make a good stab at the the calorie value. So I'd say a double sausage and egg McMuffin, so half an, a whole English muffin, uh, an egg in a cup, and two burger patties in there. Probably looking about 550 calories just for the double egg McMuffin alone. Let's say 170 for the hash brown, so we're at six. Uh, so 720. And the cappuccino will probably be, oh, let, let's round, let's give it, a, you know, 180 just to round up to an even 900 calories. Well, you, <laughs> you're doing very, very well until you got to the cappuccino. So uh, just go through uh, as you did. Um, so the double sausage and egg McMuffin was 565. So you're very close there. The hash brown is 135. Again, close there. Regular cappuccino, about half of what you said, so 97 calories in that. Um, in total, we've got 797 calories in total with that one meal. Um, so that's about 40% of a uh, the female recommended allowance of calories um, and 31% uh, for a male. Um, and that's, again, going back to that baseline of 2,000 and 2,500. So, Stu... You definitely know your calories, and um, you've definitely done your homework, and I can tell that you've been counting them recently because you're all over. Well done. See, the interesting thing you mentioned about the McDonald's breakfast, so especially when you're looking at your daily allowance of calorific intake, do you not find when you have a McDonald's, whether it be a breakfast or any of their burgers, that 
you're just still really hungry after you eat it. It's it's almost like they're 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 empty calories by the time you've eaten the McDonald's. I don't know if it's just me, but if I have McDonald's breakfast by ten o'clock, I'm sitting there thinking pretty hungry, and I don't know if that's again my brain confused me saying as it was quite salty and quite fatty you just need to drink a lot of water it's not hunger you're thinking it's thirst and it's your body giving you mixed messages but i always find anything with mcdonald's it never fills me up for the calorific and fat values and the content of those those meals yeah and i think it goes back to a little bit about the um the glycemic index um and how full it makes you feel for how long because fast food essentially is processed food processed food breaks down in the body quicker so you end up feeling hungrier sooner um whereas like you know if you were to have um uh not that you would for breakfast is quite a poor example but a bowl of vegetables vegetables are uh, a complex carb and they take a long time to break down so you feel less hungry so you know as much as a a nice mcdonald's breakfast is occasionally um not particularly healthy as i'm sure we all know anyway I mean, but but as you said, when, from uh, from that daily allowance, if that's already knocked out forty percent of your allowance um, for for a female, and or thirty one as a male, again following the standard um, sort of you know science behind it. And again, from my standpoint, as you, as you mentioned earlier, I've got a desk job, so I find that if I do no exercise during the day and following what my actual calorie burn rate is, because I've got quite a slow level of metabolism, I burn without exercise about 1600 calories a day that's what my body that's what my body can burn doing nothing so if i eat above that obviously i'm 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 over i'm overeating if i don't exercise based on that that calorific intake so if i had that mcdonald's i'd be like right well i can now have either one more meal for dinner or i'm stuffed for the rest of the day or i'm gonna have to exercise and as you said earlier so that means i'd have to do um an hour of weightlifting I'd actually, I'd actually have to do it all, wouldn't I? I'd have to do an hour of weightlifting, a forty-five minute walk, and a twenty-minute hit session, pretty much to eclipse most of that McDonald's breakfast. Yeah, you will. To be in a deficit, uh, to have uh, more output than input, um, you will have to do all of that in one day. Two hours and five minutes of exercise for that McDonald's breakfast that will last maybe six minutes of consumption, unless you, yeah, really, unless, you unless the coffee's hot. <laughs> there's <laughs> always a thing left at the end isn't it your coffee that's i mean i like higher and lower anyway but it's such an interesting aspect and i know obviously people are looking at that and i th- i'd like to think that as you know it's becoming more apparent that cereals are more sugar-based rather than healthy based especially when people encourage their children to have cereals they're like oh just give them rice krispies oh cereals a great way to start the day it really isn't it's things like as you said wholemeal toast and things like that are are where it's at yeah, and you no, know, I actually had a, quite a big thing against cereals a couple of years ago. I, I watched um, a, a food documentary talking about the uh, sugar content of cereals and how they try to dress it up as being healthy and you know added vitamins and all that sort of stuff. But actually, when you get to the nitty gritty, um, you do realise how unhealthy they are. Now I, I, I kind of relaxed on that one a little bit and i must admit i do have a a pack of uh, fun cereals as i call them um, to have you know maybe once a week. Um, but yeah, I used to have a real uh, grind, axe to grind against cereals in the industry <laughs> for a while. <laughs> that Kellogg's cockerel. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Mortal cockerels. Yeah, um, but no, I think just going back to calories, like this is where you've got the the uh, the guidance that you have. 
And just touching on what you were saying about if you're uh, fairly sedentary at a desk job, um, sometimes this guidance isn't particularly accurate. It's there for, uh, again, guidance, as it says, but you need to consider what your general day-to-day activity is like as well. So when we are talking about these tasty foods and recipes that we're going to cook, we're going to also just consider perhaps, you know, what we need to do to uh, burn that off. So. So with that being said, as it's our first episode and we're going to be picking a recipe to cook each week, are you going to reveal what we are cooking this week to discuss on next week's show? I am indeed. So this week is a classic. In fact, it's called Classic Shepherd's Pie. Now, it is a classic, but it's with a twist um so this is actually from uh the bosch boys um so this is the bosch classic shepherd's pie um so the bosch boys are I'll give you a little bit of background on the guys who created the recipe uh henry firth and ian Thiesby, a couple of lads from sheffield who a couple of years ago decided to go vegan actually so um they decided to go vegan. Um, I think one was more for it than the other and then managed to kind of convince uh, the other one to come along with him on this journey. And this journey worked out very well for them. They started a, a YouTube channel, um, which has millions of subscribers, and they've actually gone on to release five uh, recipe books as well, three of which have been uh, number one in the Sunday Times bestsellers uh, chart. So, you know, they've done very well from this. And actually, I became aware of them uh this christmas just gone uh when my sister very kindly bought me a uh rice cooker so um as you know Stu and the listeners at home will get to know as well i do love a kitchen gadget um i love my gadgets anyway but you know combine that with a kitchen gadget as well i'm all over it um so my sister again kindly bought me a rice cooker for christmas and actually with that rice cooker came a uh recipe book uh the bosch recipe book which is all vegan uh, my sister colleen is uh, a vegetarian um so i think it may be her way of encouraging me to eat more vegetarian meals which is you know something we're trying to do anyway uh, my wife and i um and i've been using this book almost as if it's my food bible for the last uh, few weeks i've been uh, cooking from it very regularly and i've enjoyed the meals the food is very very tasty um i think sometimes vegan meals come with that stigma that they're not uh, particularly tasty, but these boys have made um, them very, very wholesome, very healthy, and full of flavor as well. So um, I just wanted to kind of uh, share this book with people, share this book with you. Um, and I actually chose this classic shepherd's pie for our first cook-off. And I'm going to read out what they've actually put in the blurb from their website about this recipe. So um, this is a family favorite recipe and easy to make, meat and dairy free without reducing the flavor, depth and health benefits. In the Bosch house, we make the Bosch classic shepherd pie a lot. We cook it for families and we make it for our buddies. If you're looking for a vegan meal to cook for a meat eater, this is a great choice and proves you just don't need to have any animals in a dish to make it tasty. Um, It's hearty, it's flavorful, it's healthy, it's meaty. It's a great meat-free shepherd's pie, and we can't wait for you to cook it. Out of all the dishes we've designed at Bosch, we reckon this is in our top five. 
if you make it, you'll love it. The vegan shepherd pie. Now, I'm going to point this bit out. The vegan shepherd's pie feeds up to six people and serve with veggies. So if you are making this at home, maybe scale it down. If you haven't got a family of six or what have you, we'll probably do the same. There's only two of us in the household, plus the cat, um, but he doesn't like shepherd's pie. So we might if we tried it on. Um, so we'll probably scale back on the uh, ingredients somewhat. But there we have it. So on our social media, we are going to share the recipe. It is on their website, on the Bosch website. Um, how do you feel about that, Stu? I'm very excited to do this, and I think this is the the plan that I had for a lot of these meals. I'm going to try and cook them with my three year old daughter and make her eat them because I'm she's going through a phase before where she used to eat everything, and now she's become very very fussy. But by getting her involved in the cooking process. It just seems to be thinking if everything's mixed together, she hates it. If it's all separated out, so if you had a shepherd's pie, a regular shepherd's pie, if you just had the meat on one part, the potato on another part, and take out the onion because she hates it, she, well, maybe if there's any onion in this, I'll just hide it in there so she won't notice, um, and just get her to cook it. And I think if you get children involved in cooking, they're going to be more inclined to want to eat it rather than you just serving them up something they'll go, I don't like that without even trying it. So. The, the Bosch Brothers Classic Shepherd's Pie is going to be my family Sunday lunch. So I will get my ingredients this weekend and I will obviously photograph and we'll release these across social media um, on our Twitter at That Food Podcast. Um, we'll publish the recipe. Obviously, you'll hear this on the podcast. And once the podcast goes live, we'll release it on our Twitter feed. Um, if you like what we've done today, make sure you subscribe on your podcast platform of choice um if you're listening to us obviously you're listening on your favorite version of uh you know pod application but subscribe leave us a review if you like it really helps us get you know on the algorithms gets higher up the charts to find where we are um as we said throughout the podcast we're at that food podcast on twitter um follow us give us a share and uh yeah we'll be trying to do this every week pending sort of work commitments but most importantly i am looking forward to a weekend of cooking um where can people find you on social media my good friend yeah so i am at coach wicked on twitter so check me out there but most importantly as tax has already touched on please check us out on that food podcast um, and give us a like, a share, and subscribe on your favorite podcast channel. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Stuart Miller. Um, but again, follow the P- Food Podcast Twitter, like us, subscribe, leave us a review if you like it, and we'll be back next week with a classic vegan shepherd's pie. We'll see you next week. Goodbye, everybody. See you next week. Bye.